0: Powered by volunteer community involvement, this is CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. Bikini Jarman's mission is to analyze horror and science fiction films through an intersectional feminist lens while combining elements of screen and media studies, arts criticism, and women and gender studies. Since we'll be discussing portrayals of horror and violence, content warning, listener discretion is advised, etc., also spoilers ahead. Today I'm joined again by Talia Steele. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Talia Steele is a graphic designer and illustrator based in Winnipeg, Canada. She specializes in visual identity, brand development, and creative direction. Her personal work consists of experimenting with color, textures, and commonplace objects to create a whimsical world to find comfort in. You can see more of her work at taliasteel.com or via Instagram at talica. This week, we are talking about Tim Burton's 1988 film, Beetlejuice.
1: From the director of Pee-Wee's Big Adventure, Adam and Barbara are ghosts.
0: What's the good of being a ghost if you can't frighten people away?
1: Their house is being haunted by the living. Maybe the house could use a little remodeling. And they can't scare them into leaving.
2: they It's a little late to be neurotic.
1: So they're calling on Beetlejuice.
2: Beetlejuice! Beetlejuice! Beetlejuice!
1: Who's no ordinary ghost. God, you don't want his help. Can you be scary?
3: What do you think of this? <laughs>
1: Now, the party's over.
3: You want somebody out of the house, I want to get somebody out of your house.
1: <laughs> but the fun has just begun. It's showtime. Learn to throw your voice for your friend, butter party. Not bad. Yeah,
2: this is amazing. Want a
1: cigarette? Oh, no, thank you. Oh, yeah, here I come, baby. He's guaranteed to put some life... Attention, keyboard shoppers. ...in your afterlife. Michael Keaton is Beetlejuice. And the ghost with the most, babe.
0: The spirits of a deceased couple are harassed by an unbearable family that has moved into their home, and they hire a malicious spirit to drive them out.
4: So Talia, what is your history with Beetlejuice? Oh, so Beetlejuice is like, for me, the ultimate Halloween horror fairy tale. So I hold Beetlejuice very close to my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, It's always been like a comfort movie for me around that time of year. So it's like funny, it's silly, it's spooky. I just like love everything about it. it. Like is Halloween for me um I saw it when I was a kid but I can't really remember how old I was but I just know that I've been watching it like every Halloween for many years um and oddly enough um it kind of depends on like what my hair looks like at the time but the amount of times that I've been told that I look like Lydia Deeds um, I don't know it's a lot a lot of times yeah. <laughs> so uh I don't know I guess I kind of like always resonated with her uh what about you well what's your history with guilt
0: yeah, so my mom was a big fan of Tim Burton films. Um, so I watched Beetlejuice as a kid. And again, like like you said, I don't really know like how old I was, but it's like I've always been watching this movie. Um, and I think watching Beetlejuice so much along with The Witches and Heather So Young was like a gateway into horror movies. Like I don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily categorize Beetlejuice as a horror movie, but it does feel like a gateway film in that way. Um, I also... Watched the Beetlejuice cartoon a lot as a kid until I had a very scary nightmare about it.
4: Oh, no. The movie didn't give me a
0: nightmare, but the cartoon did.
4: The cartoon was a little freaky Yeah, weird. yeah, it's though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, Beetle—it's such an interesting film because, like, on its surface, it seems like a very family-friendly movie, like almost a kids' movie, but it has some very dark themes, and the script is kind of dark too. And yeah, it's also a haunted house and ghost movie. So we could talk a little bit about that subgenre. Most of the earliest haunted house movies resemble the vision laid out in 1932's The Old Dark House, which also inspired a wealth of future Halloween attractions. Typically, characters would spend the night in a large sinister mansion as a sort of endurance test, possibly to earn a cash prize, like House on Haunted Hill, or to recover a familial inheritance, like Cat in the Canary. This state is inevitably haunted by madmen or ghosts like in 13 ghosts or some other form of deadly spirit filmmakers turned away from this classical mode as the stereo studio era ended in the early 1960s domestically the genre descended into b-movie abyss for most of that decade and in, into the next before the release of the amityville horror in 1979 the shining in 1980 and poltergeist in 1982 since then we've seen the release of more frightening and more gothic Um, haunted house and ghost films such as the sixth sense in 1999 the others in 2001 and the paranormal activity and conjuring films beetlejuice along with ghostbusters in 1984 introduced a seemingly family-friendly and comedic attraction style haunted houses and trickster ghosts a throwback to ghost films of the 1930s and 40s while still maintaining um, kind of scary classic horror tropes so talia what are your thoughts on haunted house and ghost subgenres
4: and are you a fan um, I think for the most part I am, um, I don't know if they're like always my subgenre of choice, like can be kind of cheesy unless they're like done right, I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, you know, you know I love The Shining, mm-hmm. however, sometimes like Ghost of and haunted house movies, I don't know, maybe they're more fun when they're extra cheesy, so I don't know. I love Ghost with Patrick mm-hmm. Swayze and The Sixth Sense, love that movie. Um, which I know they're not necessarily horror movies, but they're like pretty melodramatic and sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I recently watched one that like really really scared me. It was like kind of a ghosty haunted house movie with a mm-hmm. demonic twist, which it was called The Dark and the Wicked. Um, so I don't know, maybe like that subgenre of ghost movies like more when they have like that demonic kind mm-hmm. of twist. Um, yeah, what about you? Do you have like any favorite ghost stories or movies?
0: Yeah, this might be actually, like,
4: one of my favorite
0: subgenres, and, like, maybe, like, as I'm watching more films, I am kind of leaning towards, like, ghost films or, like, anything with, like, a haunted witch or, like, <laughs> yeah, a demonic twist or something. I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of those films. And, yeah, it's such a broad genre that, like, one ghost movie can have more comedic elements to it while another deals with grief, so, like, even Hereditary, for example, could be considered... A ghost or demon or cult movie um, yeah and they can all be really effective sort of depending on um, yeah what sort of elements they're bringing into it um, yeah. I really like the others um, Lake yeah. Mungo is a fave mm-hmm. um, and even The Conjuring has some creepy imagery even though it's like such a like 1970s churchy throwback oh, yeah. kind of film. but they have like some creepy jump scares part two. Totally. And yeah, maybe I'm just like too forgiving because I like the subgenre so much, but I like even like the so-called creepy, like cheesy haunted house and ghost movies, like House on Haunted Hill and 13 Ghosts and even Ghost Ship.
4: Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I remember seeing Ghost Ship all the time at like the, the video store and mm. like just terrified right of the cover of it. So like, or actually, I think I may have watched it once at like a sleepover. And like, mm. I just, I was like, mom, come get me. Or oh something. no. <laughs>
0: Yeah, like those those like twitchy ghosts revival movies. Like they're yeah. silly, but they're fun.
4: They're, they're fun. Yeah. They always involve like some sort of like
0: wire trauma.
4: Yeah, I know. It's like I don't know. I feel like they're always like they're always like there's a a bump in the night. I think I recently watched this one called like The Changeling or something. Oh yeah, The Changeling is so great. Changeling? I, I don't know. What Changeling. It's like. Yeah. The Changeling. yeah, Yeah. yeah um that one was pretty good that one Mm -hmm. was like super like haunted housey ghosty um yeah that was a good one
0: yeah and they're always like I don't know depending on on what era but there's usually like um a crime that has to be solved or some sort of mystery so there is like the main character usually gets to play detective which I really appreciate
1: yeah Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's fun yeah this is embarrassing but I believe in ghosts so I think I'm just drawn to sort of
4: ghost stories Me too. I believe in ghosts. I think ghosts are real. I'm sorry. Like, if you don't believe in ghosts, like, whatever.
0: you're (laughs) wrong. I worked at a haunted bar. Like, they're real.
4: They are real. (laughs) I feel like my apartment is haunted, and like, I see stuff all the time, and I'm like, I don't know. I have glasses, so like, I'm wearing them. Like, it's not like, it's not like I'm not seeing clearly. I am. (laughs) Just a ghost. It's a ghost. That's all it is. It's a friendly ghost. It's a friend, yeah, it's a cast for The Friendly ghosts. Exactly. Let's talk about Goths in film because I feel like, right. you know, they, well, Lydia, you know, she is a strange and unusual person. Yeah. And, you know, so I actually read this excerpt from this book from My, Micah L. Isset called Goths A Guide to American Subculture. Okay. Um, and they said, During the 1990s and 2000s, as public awareness of goth culture became more widespread, more filmmakers began using goth characters in their films. Uh, Most goth characters in films are young women, perhaps because mainstream audiences more readily accept the feminized goth look on women than they do in men. In Burton's 1990, it says 1990, that's not right. It's 1988. Uh, In 1988 film Bealjuice, the character of Lydia, played by a known writer, is one of the earliest film portrayals of a goth, or at least the general public opinion of what goths look like. Um, So they go on to say Lydia is depicted as an intelligent, creative, and reclusive teenager, at odds with her father and stepmother, and feeling as if she does not belong in the family. Her dramatic sense of isolation is presented in humorous ways by Tim Burton, who even inserts the scene where Lydia is contemplating suicide and composing a note that begins with, I am alone, before throwing it away and deciding that would be better to lead with, I am utterly alone. Lydia's dialogue is riddled with jokes, poking fun at typical goth morbidity. When told she's allowed to have a dark room in their new house, Lydia replies my whole life is a dark room. (laughs) So later she reads from a book saying that humans tend to ignore things that are strange and unusual. Uh, She says I myself am strange and unusual. So I don't know it's not unusual for, for filmmakers to use goth girl characters in their films often used as like comic relief or like lightening the mood with, like a sarcastic kind of personality so you can see a lot of sarcastic goth girls in films that are later found to be highly intelligent so often it's supposed to like surprise us as viewers or something that they're like smart or something um and have like hidden qualities or like powers if you will so um they also say in their book Uh, The children's animated television program Teen Titans, which aired from 2003 to 2006, featured a gothy superhero named Raven portrayed by a wickedly sarcastic and often shy character whose powers included telekinetic and telepathic abilities. Virtually every goth's dream blended with some good old-fashioned magical incantations. So like oftentimes like the goth girl can relate to like this different kind of world because like the normal world as we know it it's boring and it's ugly and it's plain to them which is everything that we're taught a goth person despises so they're the ones that that we see are drawn to these like other worlds um and where we're led where we're led to believe they belong and this is how lydia is portrayed in beetlejuice for sure oh totally yeah
0: and it's interesting that point that they made about um maybe audiences like accepting a feminized goth look if it's being worn by um, a female character I think that's really interesting and um I think in a lot of ghost films there's this idea that like children aren't sort of like bogged down with like everyday adult Bullshit, so they can, they tend to like be able to like see and interact with like paranormal stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah.
2: Sick, sexual perversion. Guys are gonna do that weird sexual stuff, do it in your own bedroom. hiding out in the attic
1: we're ghosts
2: what do you look like under there
1: aren't you scared
2: i'm not scared of sheets are you gross under there are you night of the living dead under there like all bloody veins and pus
1: night of the what
2: living dead it's a movie you know if i had seen a ghost at your age i would have been scared out of my wits you're not gross why are you wearing sheets we're practicing
1: You can see us without the sheets.
2: Of course I can
1: see you. Well, how is it that you see us and nobody else can?
2: Well, I read through that handbook for the recently deceased. It says, live people ignore the strange and unusual. I myself am strange and unusual.
0: You look like a regular girl to me.
1: You read our book? Yeah. You could follow it.
2: Yeah, why were you guys creeping around in Delia's bedroom? We
1: were trying to scare your mother.
2: Stepmother. Anyway, you can't scare her. She's sleeping with Prince Valium tonight.
0: Yeah, so I just want to build on that sort of idea, and like the idea of how family is portrayed in the film. So um, I have an essay, a quote from an essay called Beetlejuice and the Visibility of Childless Couples from horrorhomeroom.com what I found most interesting about *Beetlejuice* was the way that Adam, played by Alec Baldwin, and Barbara, played by Gina Davis, are devalued and almost irrelevant to the outside world until they find Lydia. This is by no means a commentary on their relationship, as Tim Burton masterfully paints them as an ideal couple before and after their introduction to Lydia. It instead reflects on the way that the world around them emphasizes and validates couples with children. Beetlejuice positions the Maitlands as incomplete due to their childlessness. The film begins with the nosy neighborhood interloper, Jane Butterfield, who tries to persuade the Maitlands to sell their home. She sets the tone of the film by saying that the home really ought to be for a couple with a family. The statement undervalues the Maitlands as a family by insinuating that having a child is the sole qualifications, qualification for entrance into the category of family. Having a child is presented as the most important qualities uh, criterion for a family. For being a family, we see that possessing love, respect, and accountability for one another are less important family values than having a child. This is revealed by the juxtaposition of the Dietzes and the Maitlands. Whereas the bond between Adam and Barbara is notably visible, they're still considered less than the Dietzes in absence of a child. Once the Maitlands pass away, Jane Butterfield finally gets a real family into the home, the Dietzes, who have a daughter. While Jane might qualify the Dietzes as a family, they certainly do not share the share the love nor the bond that the Maitlands have. And maybe this is just because I I'm watching Beetlejuice and I'm, and I'm older. So I, I feel like I've, I'm relating more to the Maitlands and, and maybe Delia Dietz because she's awesome to me. But yeah. then, then Lydia. And like, as someone who doesn't have kids, I found the Jane character statement about family like very, very frustrating. And there's this idea that if you're, you're not grown up or your relationship isn't legitimate until you have kids and it's very, very annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I also just really love the relationship between Barbara and Adam. I think they're very sweet and very lovely, loving. And I don't think we see a lot of couples who actually like each other in many genre films. We mostly see couples who can't stand each other, like the Dietzes. And I just love their love. I know
4: they're so sweet. Like them, just like up in their attic and cuddling on the couch. It's just cute. I know
0: they're so sweet. And like, I feel like even in
4: 1988,
0: there was this tendency for like either like the husband or boyfriend characters in films to sort of like, punt, like punch down and make fun of their their partners, but that doesn't happen. Yeah. It seems like Barbara
4: and Adam are like, are pretty equal. Yeah, they're like great support systems for each other. For yeah. sure. Going off of that, um, I feel like there's a lot of themes in Beetlejuice um, of like protecting and like prolonging childhood mm-hmm. and innocence. So like where we see the Maitlands trying to protect Lydia from the very creepy and unwanted advances from Beetlejuice mm-hmm. but also from like growing up too fast and becoming like too cynical or like jaded and um I don't know Lydia Deeds is supposed to be what 15 or 16 I'm not quite sure like mm-hmm. what her age is if they say it or not but um she seems to be a pretty serious person when we first meet her um She's obsessed with everything dark and may even be experiencing depression at her age. Um, It's not entirely clear, um, but she's either a child of divorce or it's possible that her mother passed away. I'm not sure, but um, now she has a stepmother. She clearly doesn't really get along with, and that can be very challenging as a teenager. I do know this from experience, so I can relate. Um, but we see Lydia finally connecting with something in the Maitland's house when she sees Adam and Barbara in the attic from outside, when she's like taking photos. And of course, like she finds the handbook of the recently deceased when she finally gets into the attic after struggling with the lock. And then Lydia finds herself becoming friends with Adam and Barbara and wants to be dead too because she thinks that's where she belongs, being the strange and unusual person that she is. Um, But then the Maitlands tell her like, A lot of parents tell their kids when they want to grow up too fast that being the way that they are won't solve all of your problems. So I feel like Tim Burton kind of has a history of telling a story with the main character being like a child like adult so Edward Scissorhands, Jack Skellington, Ed Wood, Pee Wee Herman, they're strange yet like kind soft-spoken man children in a way Mm -hmm. and I don't know Lydia Deets she kind of fits this role a bit um, in in Beetlejuice's yeah it's like she's also like the voice of reason Mm -hmm. a child like a wise among her years in a world full of like these distracted misguided and even kind of mature adults
1: Mm -hmm.
4: immature adults and um i don't know it's only when her parents actually see beetlejuice preying on lydia as this like sexual object and Mm A uh, way back into the living world um, her very self-centered parents finally said that she needs help when it seems like it's almost too late mm-hmm. um, yeah I don't know I think that like thinking of Beetlejuice as a horror movie is interesting because uh, when I think of Beetlejuice, I don't really think of it as a horror movie mm-hmm. it's kind of more like a fantasy comedy horror movie like not there's definitely like horrifying themes in it so mm-hmm. like, like like you said before like um, fertility challenges, or like death, mental health, suicide, especially like teen suicide, forced marriage, uh, especially child marriage, mm-hmm. um, there are even exorcisms. So of course Beetlejuice himself is a bioexorcist who's hired by Barbara and Adam. Which I'm never like, did they actually hire him, or like, do they get tricked into hiring? I never. Really he kind of he
0: kind of just tricks them and then hangs around. Yeah.
4: that's what I thought yeah um anyways I guess he he's tricked they're tricked into hiring him and they want to get rid of the deets the deetses and then the deets family have also come in to perform an exorcism of some kind of like death for the dead so there there we see like another nightmare for Adam and Barbara which is interesting that they might not even thought about like dying when they're already dead Mm -hmm. so I don't know it's like really sad to see this really really nice couple like adam and barbara to decay and their wedding outfits beside each other like it's heartbreaking like they don't deserve that Mm -hmm. after like everything they've been through yeah um yeah it was actually supposed to be a lot darker which is i mean it's not really that dark of a movie overall now i feel like it's i feel like when i watch it i think of it more like as a kid's movie but like Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it does
0: feel like a kid's movie but then there's also like gina davis rips her face off
4: yeah yeah Yeah. and And like like, beetlejuice is like a creepy pervert yeah and then like i remember when i watched it when i was a kid this is kind of like a sidebar but i'm like watching it like merrily and then he like says the f word and i'm like and i heard that that was like I don't know if it was like not a big deal at the time or something, or they just like missed it when they were like putting the ratings on the show or mm-hmm. something. But like, I watched on like fly TV and oh I gosh. was like, wait, did they just say that? Like, was that, I don't know. And then I couldn't rewind it because you know, it was on television, but yeah. Oh, that, that reminds
0: me of, um, um, I forget which John Waters movie it was, but I was watching like the um, like cast and crew like interviews and they were talking about making, which maybe cry baby. Okay. Or like one of the more like um, mainstream like studio films where you can have an F word it's it's so funny that I can't even say it on the radio but like yeah. one F word but it can't be like F you it can't be like directed at somebody and okay. you can only have one so maybe that's why they got away with it but that's funny that they played it that they played Beetlejuice on yeah.
4: on YTV yeah and it was like F they say like nice F and model or something I know and then he like
0: honks his junk
4: like yeah <laughs> I remember like I was like sort of traumatized by that as a kid yeah. I remember being like am I supposed to be watching this like <laughs> I remember I was a kid and like there a few doors down for
0: me my neighbors there was like these two like siblings yeah that were younger than me and this like toddler had like they had watched Beetlejuice on tv and she kept on repeating that line oh <laughs> over and over again and then going like "Hong Kong," like walking oh, down the street oh. it's so funny I just remember that <laughs>
4: God that is so funny. It's like so embarrassing, but like Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. So what I was saying about it was just apparently it was supposed to be a, a lot darker of a movie where like the original ending apparently had Lydia die in a fire, which oh is kind of like Uh, that's a little, a little messed up, like for mm. a teenager. Um I don't know, but apparently it wasn't like supposed to be a sad ending or anything. I guess they wanted to show like the teenage Lydia was like happier dead after all. But like, I don't know, I think like people kind of read that and were like, mm, this is probably not the best message that we want to be sending to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see that happening like in an actual horror movie like, with mm-hmm. you know, like, I don't know, like an R-rated movie or something. Yeah. Um, but I have a quote from uh, an article called Reflections on Cult Movies and Classic TV by John Kenneth Muir. So from a certain perspective, Beetlejuice is a literalization of the idea that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Specifically, specifically, the film depicts three different levels of existence that, despite their differences, share something in common, mortal life, the miniature town, and the afterlife. Beetlejuice shifts constantly from one level of reality to the next, bringing with him chaos, uncertainty, and inevitably a disaster. After he's through with them, not one of these levels of existence is safe or unchanged. In whatever manner, these three levels of existence seem to differ from one another on a superficial nature, the more they are revealed to be precisely the same. At various points, all three fields prove prisons for Adam and Barb, for instance. In all three levels, there are also rules to obey and follow, and if necessary to manipulate, that seems to be the point. Why don't they tell us something? Barb asks at one point, frustrated. I mean, where are all the dead people in the world? Why is it just you and me? In other, world, in other words, the rules in every level of reality are not always clear. So I just think that it's like interesting to see this normal, somewhat relatable couple just trying to do things right, or I guess what society says is right. Mm-hmm to have a family because they think that they would fit into like this better box like as parents to live in their dream home which thanks for that jane the realtor Mm -hmm. (laughs) um there are all these like societal pressures in life so in that we can definitely relate to barb and adam and then even after in death when they're trying to read the manual for the dead and are like so confused and can't understand what they should be doing as dead people we can empathize, empathize with them because i think as adults like you generally don't really know what you're doing Mm -hmm. or like an adult like nobody gives you like these written instructions on like what you're supposed to be doing or like how to be happy so you kind of have to figure it out on your own which ultimately I think that's what Barbara and Adam figure out at the end and after like this wild adventure with Beetlejuice of course Mm -hmm. um but then the article kind of calls Beetlejuice a very light social satire of the way things are and says one si- on one side, uh, have impossibly on one side you have one impossibly big bureaucracy unable to tend effectively to the needs of the individual. On the other side, you've got individual hucksters and frauds such as Beetlejuice, exemplifying a laissez-faire approach, deliberately taking advantage of the individual. In the middle, on regular folk. One, one's caught between an unworkable, officious bureaucracy and an unscrupul- unscrupulous character who might as well live by the motto caveat tur. tour. So, as Adam goes on to say in the movie, in the Beetlejuice universe, being dead doesn't make things easier. So the idea of like avoiding the problem, it just doesn't, doesn't necessarily solve it. I would rather talk about
1: It's cute, Julia Also, oh, Is dead, is are you doing work this all night on a drink a rum Till the morning come like come and we one go home. Come Mr. Tallyman, tally me banana Daylight come me one go home. Come Mr. Tallyman, tally me banana like come and we want. bunch, a ripe banana. They like deadly black tarantula. Daylight
0: come and we it's really interesting, kind of this like how the needs of the individual are just being kind of ignored and um Um, I think it was the evolution of horror podcast that compared Beetlejuice in the sort of bureaucratic sort of state of the afterlife is kind of like relates to 1980s neoliberalism and Reagan era politics where everything is run like a business and there's little to no social resources. So the Maitlands, they have a, um, a social worker named Juno, but they're only able to see her three times in 125 years. And yes. as you see, like, the afterlife sort of waiting room, it's, like, so crowded. There's actually, like, no system for anything. And then the social workers are seen as, like, being very overworked without having much support. So I have a quote here from an essay called Take a Number and Wait, Bureaucracy and the On-Screen Afterlife by Make Shields for Film School Rejects. It goes without saying that a bureaucratic afterlife is gallows humor. And while I don't doubt that juxtaposing the sacred and the corporate is funny, I do find it strange that on the whole, on-screen depictions of a bureaucratic afterlife are so lighthearted. There is a subtle nightmarish implication to the bureaucratic afterlife, a kind of disorienting, menacing complexity that haunts an otherwise cute and tongue-in-cheek joke. Beetlejuice's afterlife quite explicitly addresses this. It is a bureaucratic haunted house, complete with waiting room, vouchers, caseworkers, and my personal favorite, the file pile. The call numbers have no meaning, there are spatially improbable corridors populated with exercised souls, and the wait times are, take centuries. With the bureaucratic chaos of comedies like Heaven Can Wait and Defending Your Life results in confusion that ultimately gives way to self-discovery and romance. The administrative tone in Beetlejuice is genuinely frightening. Sharing the macabre site gags are hilarious, but this is an afterlife of profound and frustrating stasis. It's like being immortal and shot out, of, shot out into space with only a TPS report to keep you company. While it's implied that the receptionists and clerks have been assigned these jobs as a form of Dante-like catrapasso for committing suicide, at least they have something to do, some purpose beyond just, you know, aimlessly waiting. You, you can hardly blame Adam and Barbara for summoning an unhinged bio At least he's guaranteed to spice things up and introduce some conflict. An unnerving thing about the bureaucratic afterlife is that it's hopelessly full, of, hopelessly full of hope, which is to say that theoretically, if you just follow the rules, you're promised eternal rest, where in reality, you don't stand a chance, not really. And I, I find that this like new, neoliberal capitalism also appears in when the Dietzes try to monetize their haunted house and turn it into an amusement park. Cause they're basically like yuppies. Yeah. <laughs> and not.
4: Yeah. And like gentrifiers basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 They're like rich, like artists who like think that they're like, I don't know, not rich artists. I yeah,
0: know. <laughs> I know. Delia Dietz is an interesting character because she's kind of framed as like the villain, but she's so yeah. cool. But also, why does she? Why is she
4: married to her husband? She doesn't like him. <laughs> no, he's boring. Yeah, and I don't know what like his life was before like moving there, but like all he wants to do is watch birds. Just like birds are cool and all, but like, yeah, you're I guess implied. The <laughs> yeah,
0: I, it is implied that he worked in New York City and then suffered a nervous breakdown. Oh yeah, that's Even great. Even then sort of like yeah. Reagan era and like Negro yeah. politics didn't work for him there either.
4: Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Beetlejuice character, which is the title character, but he's actually only in the film for 17 minutes.
4: Oh, wow, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Damn, he's, the movie's named after him. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, so the Beetlejuice character, like, he was designed w- with some input from Tim Burton, but Michael Keaton basically designed the character with makeup artist V. Neal. And he had yeah. this, this idea that his hair would be sort of shooting out, like he had stuck his finger in a socket and he'd have like mold growing on him. I think okay. the only note that Tim Burton had was that he had the idea for the black and white striped suit.
4: Okay. yeah, that Everything me- else is kind of.
0: Yeah, and it was, like, mostly improvised, too. And I feel like Michael Keaton what? really, like, makes it his own.
4: Wow. I feel like I have, like, more respect for him now. <laughs> yeah, he's great. I've been watching a lot of interviews with, him, interviews with him. And he, you know what? He seems nice. It's not that I, like, didn't before or anything, but I didn't really know anything about him. Like, I feel like I watched Beetlejuice and then maybe watched, like, another movie with him, which was mm-hmm. probably the Snowman movie. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, he's, he's cool. He seems nice. And, like, in I, interviews, like... You know, Beetlejuice is 30 years
0: old now, so I can understand if an actor is maybe, like, kind of bored of talking about the same character, yeah. but
4: he seems, like, stoked that people still like it.
0: Yeah, guy. Cool.
4: Michael Keaton. What a guy. I know. Did you hear that they are maybe doing, like, a sequel to Beetlejuice? I don't know if that's still happening. Yeah, I heard that that was, like, in the works for, like,
0: years, but, yeah. like, I don't think that's
4: necessary at all. I don't all. need it. I don't need
0: it. Especially at a time, like, sorry this is me being like very get off my lawn style grandma but like there are so many remakes and reboots happening right now like we don't need another sequel no absolutely we we need like new new content new stuff
4: I mean yeah there there just needs to be new stuff like I don't need to like see what they're up to like I can imagine I can imagine in my head yeah I
0: we I saw the cartoon like they were friends Lydia and Beetlejuice were friends
4: yeah, exactly. That's like All you need, just rewatch the cartoon. Just make the the cartoon available to watch,
0: yeah. and people will be happy with that. Yeah, there you
3: go. So, so when 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 uh when Tim said a couple of these things, I thought I, I don't know what to do. So I went home and I just was by myself, and I just started moving. And I said, I don't know, I just want to go nuts. And uh, the idea, I I knew that I wanted to have hair like that. So so then V Neil the great. Makeup artist V Neal and I got in a room, started talking. Now here's what's interesting. He he Tim never really saw the guy, because they had started shooting already. And they didn't know what they were gonna get, you know. He he had the idea of the striped suit. That, I, I knew that, and and that didn't really tell me much. So he he uh, he, he didn't know what he was gonna get and, and I we hadn't rehearsed it. We hadn't done anything. I didn't, it's not like I said, well, here's what it's gonna be, and he went, oh, yeah. Now, he started coming into the makeup trailer that morning, and they had already been shooting, and he looked, and he went, oh, yeah, oh cool, 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 and then add this, and then Zev was going crazy, and I said, she wanted to do these dark eyes, blah, blah, blah. So, I walked in and said, man, I don't know. I'll see if this works. If it doesn't work, this is, whatever. You know, we'll see if it works, and weirdly, the crew, as I walked in, and I had had a walk I wanted to do, and I just kind of started to grade this guy, and 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 um, and, and I started <laughs> and I walked in, and the crew I hadn't shot a foot of film. The crew started going, juice, 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 juice. I had no idea why because they didn't know what was going to happen.
0: Um, yeah, and to kind of go back to your point of like how the original ending was was a lot darker. Um, Beetlejuice is also written to be extremely dark and even more like predatory and like kind of rapey, and I think this is this is because it was written by a queer horror writer, Michael McDowell, who is best known for his works of Southern Gothic horror.
4: Okay,
0: yeah, I didn't realize that before researching the show that was like written by a horror writer.
4: Oh, I didn't know that either.
0: Yeah, so that's what was really cool. Now we have to move on and talk about how white Tim Burton's Uh movies are. Yeah. So in 2016, Tim Burton delivered a rather tone-deaf response when, in an interview, Bustle editor Rachel Simon asked him about his adaptation of the popular Ransom Riggs fantasy novel, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, which features a large and largely white ensemble cast. He stated that things either call for things or they don't, like very vaguely, and then goes on to explain, I remember back when I was a kid watching The Brady Bunch and they started to get all politically correct, like, okay, let's have an Asian child and a Black. I used to get more offended by that than just I grew up watching exploitation movies, right? And I said, "That's great." I didn't go like, "Okay, there should be more white people in these movies." Like, completely Ugh. clueless, completely missing the point, and like comparing like a contrived network television plotline to black exploitation films. Like, those are two very different things.
4: Yeah,
0: and like, also, you're not even addressing the fact that your films exclusively fe- feature like white people and white families.
4: Yeah yeah it's really weird like it just seems like I i think I did read a couple of articles of him talking about that and like it seems like he's just trying to be like oh no like you know it's just like it just happened to not be that way mm-hmm. and like they just like maybe don't fit into the aesthetic and it's like no you're just racist yeah <laughs> it's just, you're just like a clueless weird. old man yeah like you don't like you're not even listening to like what people are actually saying and like mm-hmm. you're not using that to like I don't know yeah make it make your movies I don't know more inclusive
0: I guess so and I guess like with his talking about the Brady Bunch plotline, like is he worried that like casting people of color would be seen as tokenism like I just I just don't really understand like
4: yeah I don't really know it's like it just seems really toned up and like you're just missing a point completely and like you just want you, you just think like oh let's just like move past this and like people are going to forget about it or something yeah it's like, exactly no <laughs> and it, it is just such a shame because
0: like especially in his early movies like is his aesthetic is just like so creative and so imaginative and like so specific to his films but then like he can't yeah. imagine like people of color in his films like it's not part of his aesthetic to have people of color in his films just like yeah especially yeah. considering that like his films are about otherness yeah in so many ways especially his his later his early ones i haven't honestly like i don't really like his more like recent work i think like he did best when he was like um basing his work on basing films on his own sort of stories or own ideas even even though beetlejuice he he didn't write it but i feel like it does it does feel like like an original work rather than an adaptation Uh, so i have a quote here from an essay called outcast by the outcast tim burton's racial blindness from geekquality.com With a few exceptions, Burton has chosen to set his films in a nostalgic, all-white past, or in the case of films like Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Batman, and Edward Scissorhands, a not-quite-present, not-quite-past that leans heavily on nostalgic aesthetics and social structures. His work shows an almost equal fascination with with both 1950s suburban Americana and 1800s England. It would be fair... As a fan to argue that part of the reason that there are no people of color in Burton's work is that the settings don't really allow for them. Technically one would be right for fairly ugly reasons. The all white enclaves of 1950s America represented the last gasp of segregation. The 19th century was the apex of England's imperialism. These were societies that specifically excluded people of color. These are also periods regarded as golden ages in their respective countries prone to being romanticized. People of color are never part of the communities in Burton's movies. They come into the worlds of the films, do their job in bit parts for one scene, then vanish. Bizarrely, that is a job that that job is often in law enforcement. They're not so much characters as plot devices, and often they specifically represent physical power but practical inefficiency. They're there to establish the relative power of Burton's outcast protagonists. Mm. And yeah, I yeah. don't I don't know like I don't know what we can expect from Tim Burton, especially with his like more recent work which seems which seems to be kind of like less creative or interesting to me
4: yeah exactly I feel like he like took that comment or something like too personally and was just Mm -hmm. like I don't know it just seems like I hate to say that I like don't really expect like growth from him because I just Mm -hmm. feel like his response was like so stubborn you know like it just sounded like he was just like well this is how I do it so like if you don't like it don't watch it or something like it just seems kind of like that where it's like I don't know maybe like maybe he thought about it more in depth than I'm just like assuming I don't know but like just based on that like comment and like things that he'd said about it it just was like I don't know if you like really actually took it like to heart you know Mm -hmm. so I think I asked uh, my partner today I was like oh like because like I knew we were gonna like talk about this and
1: Mm -hmm.
4: he was like my partner was just like oh, I think there was like a mover that like in Beetlejuice or something that was, like, was a person of color. And like, it's yeah. like two seconds and then that's it. So it's just like, that's like it, okay. Mm-hmm. Don't, I don't, I don't like that. No.
0: And I get like what um, this essay states that it's like kind of like maybe for the, for the time and, and setting, it makes sense that there are no people of color because there are, they're in, is it Connecticut or, or Vermont? Yeah. In a in a really small small town so who knows like it could be mostly white people in the town but then also like then then you have the whole like afterlife part of the Yeah. Film.
4: Right. Yeah, I know. That's really weird. And like I feel like even I don't know if they really even mention what year it is in Beetlejuice or like mm-hmm. in really any of the movies like I'm thinking specifically of like um Edward Scissorhands where it kind of like you know like the the setting kind of looks like all the houses are colorful it seems like kind of 1950s-esque but like it's not like stated that that's what the year is so I'm like does he do that on purpose I don't know it's it's
0: it could just be laziness laziness and like Uh, white supremacy
4: right like yeah exactly like that's probably what it is like even if he wants to like admit that or not uh like it's probably like a a subconscious thing that he's kind of doing or maybe intentionally i don't know but yeah and like just the defensive response is just like so so disappointing it is because i'm like i really like a lot of his movies and like of course the aesthetic is like really cool and everything but it's like yeah there's obviously something missing when you like see
0: that you're like oh yeah. yeah yeah it's a shame all right so yeah that's our show this week thank you so much for for listening and thank you Talia for coming on the show again it was so nice to have you oh,
4: thank you so much for having me again I love to talk about Beetlejuice
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is such a fun movie which is like set yeah. why it's like
4: knowing now we know about Tim Burton is like such a bummer I know I know and like yeah it was actually kind of interesting like watching Beetlejuice like not in October because I usually mm-hmm. watch it like in Halloween time so I'm yeah. like yeah in summertime it's I guess it's like I don't know if anyone has shudder but like it's like we're halfway to Halloween yeah. so I'm like <laughs> you know think of it like that yeah yeah totally yeah um where can people find your work so, I finally got my website up and running. So, it's just my name, it's taliasteel.com, where you can see um, my design work, my illustrations, and trying to update it pretty regularly. And also on my Instagram account, uh, it is at St underscore underscore talica, like Metallica. So, yep. yeah, that's
0: Great. where you can put it. Cool. Um, I also want to mention that uh, I'm the new program coordinator at Cinematech and I'll be hosting um, live shows probably through Cinematech's Facebook, Facebook Live or whatever. So Mm -hmm. yeah, so just stay tuned for that. Cool. Thanks so much. Oh yeah. And you can listen to Bikini Drive-In every Sunday at 4 p.m. on CKW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and I have a Facebook page. It's all bikini driving. Cool. Thanks. Bye. Bye. by volunteer community involvement. This is CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg.